we like to kind of kick off with a good start before we get into the heavy topic of investment yes. and the Greek issue and yes. also UK budgets we're taking a look at. Yes, yet another UK budget. I just want to touch on this briefly. I know it's a UK issue, um, but they are coming thick and fast at the moment. And this one has come about because it's the first time it's been a wholly Conservative budget for many, many years. The last government was a coalition, so um, that's why they've, they've come out with another budget quite as quickly um, as they have. Now, it's just a few points on there which will affect uh, people that own property in the UK that's really what I wanted to focus on because that's not just Brits there's a lot of people that have invested in property in the UK and the benefits to landlords are going to be reduced over time now anyone that owns a property in the UK and has that let out will be aware that various of their costs can be offset against their rental income thus reducing their income and potentially reducing their tax liabilities well Although certain things can still be claimed, what's happened thus far is that your cost of your mortgage, the interest payments, you've been able to offset against your rental income, and that's slowly going to be wound down. So for many people, the actual real, their net income is going to increase with potential tax liabilities. Now, nothing is happening immediately. The first change isn't happening till well, about nearly two years' time, April 2017, when the deduction will be restricted to 75% of costs, and it goes down in incremental s- stages um, up to about 2020. But anyone who's planning ahead in terms of their income and has UK income from property needs to be aware of that. Uh, interesting, isn't it, how much is planned ahead of time, which is a good thing. Um, it makes you wonder how long this has been sitting there waiting to be re- released to the world. Well, I imagine quite a while. Certainly there's, anyone who's been following the UK property market will know that there's been concerns about a lot of people buying rental properties, pushing prices up, pricing first-time buyers out of the market. And I think part of it is designed to make it less attractive to buy so many properties. But again, it's another way of, of raising revenue, which the government clearly needs. Mm. So that, that's an interesting point. That's all set out. I've got an article from last week on my blog that, that sets all that out in quite you know simple terms because there's some complex issues there. There's also um, some changes to inheritance tax. Now, th- this kind of thing gets trumpeted quite a lot in the UK, but the fact is it actually re- applies to so few people that's nowhere near as big an issue as you might consider. The theory has been that up until recent years, when we've had a bit of a boom in property prices, and obviously that's increased the value of people's assets, that only something like 2% of the population has paid inheritance tax. Oh. And of that 2%, 1%, so half of it, has been in London and the South East, which is not surprising if you know anything about the UK property market. There's also some other bits and pieces about changes for non-doms. Now, let me just clarify. Non-resident and non-domiciled, completely different things. And I think that's confused a few people. Anyone who's British who is living out here on a permanent basis is non-resident. You are not a non-dom. That does not apply to you. That is someone who is generally not a British citizenship but has lived there for a period of time and there used to be, or there are still in fact, um, all sorts of tax breaks that make it really beneficial to live in the UK. So you've got the Russian oligarchs and uh, and all sorts living there, paying hardly any tax and that situation is going to be changing. Hurrah, I think uh, most of us would actually say, but that's not going to be happening until April 2017. So quite cynically, those people have got time to rearrange their affairs. Uh, so there's going to be changes there, which is a good thing. Do you have many people come to you that are not British, Karen, looking at buying property in the UK? I do have some, yes, actually. I was only dealing with a Canadian couple uh, a few weeks ago. I think because the UK is seen as a very mature property market and quite stable with a very strong legal system, 
and over time you know it, it it's it's a quite a secure market i would say compared to many yeah i think there there are quite a few and there are, I, I also meet people who have lived in the, and worked in the uk for a period of time and have bought property there have since left perhaps have no intention of going back but have retained the property as an investment mm. and how easy is it to buy a property in the uk when you don't live there it can be done i wouldn't say it's easy but it certainly can be done. Uh, you would need a deposit of at least 25% and be needing to borrow the equivalent of at least £100,000 you know, in a stable income. It can be done. Now, what I'm gonna, was going to talk about mortgages probably next month because I've just hooked up with someone who's a great mortgage broker for both the UAE and the UK that we're going to be promoting a service there. So that that nicely, I haven't even mentioned that to you, that nicely leads into that, but it can be done. But I think generally it's in most cases, it's better to use a broker to do the legwork because it can be a lot of hassle if you're not living there. Well, you can check out the full article on Karen's blog. She's got Financial UAE. Check it out online. We've also posted the details up on our website as well. That's regarding the UK budget. July 2015, the main points for expatriates. Uh, We are going to take a look at investment, and I guess some people might consider buying a property and investment. So we'll take a look at that in a while um, regarding whether that's an option for you or not, or what you should be considering when investing. what I wanted to ask you, and I suppose it's the obvious question, but, you know, when do savings need to become investments? Because we could just keep putting our money to one side, saving, and maybe that's what we should do. But at what point as an advisor would you be saying, you know what, this money needs to, you can make more with this money? Right. Once you've got money set aside that covers at least three to six months of your outgoings at that point providing you haven't got a specific need for that money in the short term now short term and investment terms is probably three years um, then you probably ought to be looking at investing with and it's one of the points that, that I've, I've picked up on the article that's just gone up is that interest rates are very low in most markets in, in the more stable markets anyway interest rates are very low inflation is generally higher than interest rates therefore in real terms your money's going backwards. You're actually losing money each year. Quite simply, if, you, if you're getting interest of 1%, inflation is at 3%, you're going backwards by 2% in, in round numbers. So you have to consider, do you want to keep that money as cash? And yes, there are advantages in having cash. And I think in today's world, we tend to keep more in cash than we would have done a number of years ago. And that's probably a smarter thing living here as well, without a welfare state safety net, that, that kind of thing. Um, but if you're looking for the longer term and you want to make money, then investment is what you need to start looking at. How open are people about their money? You know, when they come and speak to you, I think possibly once you're at that level of investing your money, you have an air of confidence about that. Or is that not the case? Well, if I'm going to advise someone on their investments or any aspect of their f- personal financial planning, I need to pretty much know everything and everything all information is held in total confidence it's it's a bit of a doctor patient relationship if you like it just doesn't go elsewhere and, and that's automatic but the more I know about someone's situation what they've got at the moment their thoughts what they like what they don't like their concerns their worries the better I'm able to to advise them because there's not a really an off-the-shelf solution while I'm dealing with people. It's quite personal. And the better I know someone, the easier it is for me to come up with solutions for what's right for them personally that they're going to be happy and comfortable with. Uh, Somebody here now, I guess... um 
this is a caller actually and and you may not be able to answer this specifically on air but I guess it's echoing many people's thoughts depending what money you've got that you could deem to be spare cash now this person's receiving a 200,000 dirham settlement and asking for a recommendation where how to invest the money well, that is the archetypal how long is a piece of string question. There is no easy answer without knowing a lot of information about their particular situation. And I normally allow an hour for a first meeting to sit down with someone and just chat through circumstances because I'd need to know their age, the time frame, what other assets they got. Do they actually want to invest all of that or do they need to keep some in cash to, or do they have debts that need to be paid off first? If they want to invest it, over what period of time? Are we talking five years, 10 years, 15? That makes a difference. They're presumably resident here, but how long will they stay here? Will they be moving to another jurisdiction? We need to be aware of potential tax issues in the future. Generally, most investments are offshore, but there are complications, particularly if someone is American, for example, with, with the IRS. Then we have to consider so the other investments that they've got, their views on investment risk. And that's quite a lengthy conversation because my perception of, of risk and someone else's may not be the same. And I need to really dig deep to find out what they mean and how much risk they are comfortable with so they can sleep at night. Do they have particular areas in which they wish to invest? Other areas that they want to avoid investing in? in? For that sort of amount, you're probably talking about some sort of bond structure offshore with the choice of funds. But it's a little bit more complicated than that because it very much depends on the individual. And that's what I was saying earlier about there isn't a, an off-the-shelf solution. It's sit down for a chat. And if they want to contact me, never any obligation. I don't do hard selling in the slightest. But it's a, a chat over a, a cup of coffee to see what's right for them and what they want to do. Mm. The thing is, it is a, a, it's a considerable amount of money and mm-hmm. it's something you can do with that. And there are options out there, quite a few options, actually. Yes, and they need to get it right. And they need to get it right for them them because what someone else has done or what their friend has done or what someone did a number of years ago is not necessarily right for them specifically let's have a look at the greek issue um and <laughs> we'll, do course, briefly, we'll do it briefly we'll do it briefly i know them. and it is a big one but you know it, you know how is it affecting the average investor Let's have a look at that. You can't escape it. It's, it's, the, the fact is Greek is a, Greece is effectively bankrupt. That's the shortest way of putting it. They've got a lot of money that, 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 that is owed that they cannot afford to pay back. And the rest of Europe is trying to find a solution. But they're not really on the same page about this. And the solutions are not necessarily about the right financial solution. It seems to be as much political as it is financial. And there's knock-on effects with the other countries in Europe that have got issues. It's, it's messy. The problem how it sort of filters down in terms of investment is that markets don't like uncertainty and we still have ongoing uncertainty as to how that is going to pan out. We had the, no, the OHI vote, um, which is sort of set things backwards, if you like. What's that? That's the, the people not wanting to go for the austerity measures right. and, and repay monies. Well, you know, if you borrow money, you've got to repay it at some point, I guess, albeit you know, Germany borrowed a lot of money after the last war, didn't pay that back. So there's issues with are they, you know, in a position to demand? But it's it's very messy, very complicated. But the fact is, a lot of money is owed. They don't have the money. They don't have the money to pay um, their state pensions, their state benefits. There's 
banks have had to um, limit the amounts of withdrawals because they're going to run out of cash. Are they then going to have to issue more cash? That leads to to inflation. If they pull out of the the euro, do they then go back to the drachma? They've got the cost of changing that, the cost of printing new money, changing an economic system. It's very messy and markets don't like the uncertainty. And that's one of the reasons that we've seen falls in, in stock markets, particularly across Europe. There are other issues that come into play generally, but that's what, what the sort of the knock-on effect is from an investment point of view. If a person, I know we don't have bankruptcy uh, laws here, but if a person goes bankrupt in the UK, uh, there are certain things that go into play that you are not able to, uh, you know, run business immediately, although uh-huh. people seem to get around that in yes, quite clever a, ways. Yes, there's a period of time yeah. that, that that applies for. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and or, you know, it becomes, your, your assets go into receivership, you know, and maybe the bank owns, then ends up owning mm-hmm. part of your business. So how does it stand for a country? that's gone bankrupt well if you look at at countries and the amount of debt that's carried i don't know what the numbers are but if if you looked at the figures uh, of national debt for the u.s it runs into trillions yes i was looking at that that's never going to be paid back i'll put my head on that neck on that i don't think that'll ever be paid back there's just interest being met and it seems to be that the the bigger you are and the more you owe the less of a concern it is therefore the man on the street that owes 100,000 dirhams is easier to chase and follow up than a big corporation or a country because they're just too big to to fail and and if Greek Greece went completely bankrupt I don't know that could really happen because you've got all the people and their lives that are affected it's just too big to utterly fail Mm. in, in that respect so how does it affect uh us does it affect us what's happening in Greece Well, it does but if you look at it, if you look at this in ten years' time, and if you looked at the movements of markets that were affected by Greece, it's just going to be a blip. And these things invariably are, which is why I would say we say to people when we're investing, the first one of the first things I say to people when they, when they say that they want to invest is like, right, you want, you must understand that at some point the value of your investment is going to go down. You have to be able to accept that. Now, how much it goes down by, we can't say, but we can limit that with levels of risk that someone takes with their portfolio. But if you can't accept anything going down, then you shouldn't be investing at all, albeit you know you could argue that you're still going to go down in, in cash in real terms. But you have to understand that. But if your investment goes down by a certain percentage, but you don't need to touch that money for another five or ten years, it will smooth itself out it's just a short-term thing and if you look at nearly any market and again i've just put up a a little um table of the the FTSE 100 index on the blog that shows you a lot of ups and downs but there's a smoothing effect over time and that's what tends to happen so many people will remember all the falls in the stock markets in around 2008 when we had the the global crisis and in inverted commas well pretty much every market has recovered and gone up in value since then and if we look at that over a 10-year period then it's a fairly big blip but it will be smoothed out over time if you've got the right level of risk for you. Terry's asking what are the bank policies when it comes to ownership of savings as with recent crises uh, access to personal savings have been blocked or simply taken away from people why is that even possible and are digital currencies a good way to escape this? 
Oh, wow. Well, OK, we're talking about things like Bitcoin. Mm, not entirely convinced that the security there, that you don't have the backing of a country or a government. In terms of the UAE and savings, so we're talking about cash in bank accounts, I personally don't have any concerns there. When we had the issues a number of years ago, the Abu Dhabi government made a big point of saying that they will effectively underwrite the banks. Do not be concerned about it. And we know that there's a massive sovereign wealth fund and there's still a lot of money in the UAE. So I don't have any issues with the banks. Certainly the, the UAE has no issues compared to, to Greece in that respect. There, certainly there's debt, there's a lot of individual debt and there is company debt, but not government debt in quite the same way. So I wouldn't be concerned from, from that point of view. Here's somebody with some debt. Let me just talk you through this question and actually could echo many people's situations, I think. Um, I have three Visa cards, one with 70k limit and two with 20k limit, and I have a loan of 180k, uh, paying 4,900 dirhams per month. My salary is 30k, and I have a monthly rent of around 13k. Adding all other expenses, having a housemaid and four children, I'm really struggling. I don't know what to do. I'm thinking of topping up my load and close the visa cards, but I'll end up with a monthly payment of 6500 Can you help? I've also got a car loan that I'm paying, which is 1500 dirhams a month, and my wife doesn't work. Ouch. That's not great, is it? That's a, that's a lot of debt and a lot of borrowing against that salary. Uh, the, the visa cards, what's not clear is the, 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 the figures of the 70, the 2020, that's amount outstanding, presumably, on those cards, not just the limit. It says limit, but I'm assuming that's the amount outstanding on them too. I'm assuming that. They're maxed it's out. It's not. It just says I have them with 70K limit and two with 20K limit. Okay. So three visa cards. Right. Yeah. I don't really like people consolidating because what worries me is that someone does that and then keeps the cards and starts borrowing again. But there are cases when that's the right thing to do. It's a case of sitting down and going through a really strict budget because savings can normally be made somewhere and you maybe need an impartial eye to look at that. But this is a, a it's a lot of borrowing against that salary and those outgoings. And unless you take steps now, that's never going to get any better, never going to get repaid. What, I, what we need to look at is the time outstanding on the loan how long has it got to go on that are we talking a couple of years or are we talking five years which is a fair amount of time but there's a budget exercise to be done here and if the overall monthly outgoings are reduced by consolidating and those cards are then cut up and an absolute promise and i've been known to sit in front of people and stare them in the eye to get promises <laughs> on this one that they will not get any more cards yes it can work in, in that those circumstances but there has to be an absolute commitment to get that debt down because it must be repaid paid and we we were talking about in the break about the consequences of debt here they are serious not paying debts here is a criminal offense now do i wish to scare people yeah i probably do actually because you need to realize just how serious it is and why action must be taken you you know you can't do that whole burying your head in in the sand thing which which is too easy to do because there are consequences if things are not paid you can't just walk away you can't just hand back the keys to a, a property you can't just assume that you'll get around to paying it because it's just a bank doesn't happen like that it's serious so you it must be faced and must be dealt with again without knowing full circumstances it's difficult to say but 
it could be that we need to just sit down and have a chat and do a bit of a budgeting exercise to get them you know focus as to what they need to do where they can cut back and how they can plan going forward and part of that exercise is realizing you know what prioritizing what needs to be paid first yeah or what how little you can pay but still keep paying something if it's money's tight yes. but it's not about borrowing more money to pay already existing what is looming debt because you're no. going to get into further debt and it's ultimately you have to build up then your income to be able to pay these the money it's all you're still spending the money mm-hmm. the money needs to be paid back it does and you have to look at a way of, of trying to reduce outgoings whether that's downsizing whether it's selling a car to get something cheaper moving to a smaller apartment cutting back I'm not saying this is this person at all, but I, I've come across numerous people carrying large amounts of debts who are still going on two or three holidays a year. Well, I'm sorry. Actually, no, I'm not sorry. That needs to stop. Mm. That needs to stop for just a few years where you pay everything off and then you can go back to having fun. But this must come first. It's not your money that you've borrowed. And it's all very well saying, oh, it's just the bank. It's a, it's just an entity. Well, the more people that default on debts and cause issues, the higher the interest rates get, the tougher the banks get on everybody else. So it's a big picture here. So reducing spending and increasing income is what you have to focus on uh andy says the only people consistently making money out of money markets is the fund managers your thoughts on that karen (laughs) well of course i'm going to disagree with that um the fund managers earn earn a lot of money and they they probably should if they do it right i mean i'm all for them being paid on on on, um, results actually because there are many that have had some terrible funds over the years and earn, earn a lot of money but it's about money being invested appropriately with the right investment and all too often I come across people who've come to see me because they're not happy with what they've got they're not appropriately invested for them things haven't been managed my clients are making money out of their investments now no one's going to be making an average of 10% a year let's be realistic that does not happen and we are in a volatile market but the right investment will give you reasonable returns so it can be made and my clients will, will, will vouch for that, that they're doing okay and they're making money, but it's about the proper management that someone understands, that you stay on top of, that's in line with their views on risk and expectations. Someone else is just texting, coming back on debt and saying, stop borrowing and stop, stop repaying off the back of what you've borrowed which is interesting because it's not really it's not really spare money, it's not really your money. So if you're borrowing no. to pay off a debt but you've used money that you've borrowed to pay off so it's still not real money in the sense of profit no all you're doing is sort of buying yourself a bit of time and breathing space and perhaps reducing the outgoings uh, and, and the total cost if you're looking at a lower interest rate on a loan than you are compared to credit cards so it does work in some circumstances but it's not a perfect solution it's just giving yourself a bit of breathing space to get where you need to be but you've got to be disciplined and not spend money on those cards and if you do pay them off don't just let them sit there again there's a lot of people that have a credit card that go up to the limit pay a bit off then go back up to the limit because it's sort of seen that that's what they should do yeah nonsense don't do that terrible idea Let's get back to investments and uh, and, uh, looking through the rules. You've got seven rules for smart investing. Yes, very sort of simple and and to the point. And this is not like where you should put your money, because I said earlier that that depends on individuals. But what you should do, the first one is save as much as you can as early as you can. And we've talked about this many, many times. If you don't put money aside, you will not have money at the end of the day. Simple 
as. And being in your 20s is not too early to start planning for the future. It doesn't mean you've got to put heaps of money away, but the earlier you start, the happier you will be, I promise, by the time you get to your 50s and 60s. It will be a lot easier rather than not starting anything until your late 40s, at which point you are perpetually going to be running to catch up. Start it early at a sensible level and just get the money put aside, put aside, put aside. It will work in due course. Okay, we've touched on cash as well. Is it as safe as it seems? Mm, Yes and no. You know, there's that whole thing about being recklessly cautious by keeping too much money in cash. It's a phrase I quite like. Um, Rule number three is always diversify. Um, Again, these are all things we've, we've touched on before. And there's that cliche of not putting all your eggs in one basket. The thing is, different markets operate slightly differently. Different asset classes do not move in the same way. And by asset classes, I'm referring to stocks and shares. So equities and property and commodities and cash. They move differently and they sort of balance each other out. And having that diversity reduces your risk overall. So a proper portfolio will have a good level of diversity within it. Again, I've t- kind of touched on this, that the don't panic markets will go down as well as up. Fact. No argument. That's what happens. And once you understand that, when you do see markets go down, you won't panic. I don't get my clients ringing me up when they see markets falling, worrying, because they understand that will happen and it's perfectly normal. And if you are investing on a monthly basis... In most cases, it's actually a good thing that markets go down because you're getting more for your money as time goes on. So the lady who helps <laughs> us with our finances and, uh, you know, we've been talking about investment and you've been giving us some guidelines, some rules, and you can read them for yourselves on Karen's blog, Financial UAE, which is up on our website. Um, talk us through the remaining rules, Karen. Right. Number five, being boring is normally better. Yeah, it really is when it comes to investment. I mean, fashion should be about clothes, not about investments. And if anyone remembers dot-com bubbles and all sorts of trends, the latest thing to invest in, so often it works for a short term and then it falls apart and people lose money. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do anything that's a bit speculative and a bit sort of interesting and risky, but do that with small amounts, small percentages of of investments. Perhaps, you know, have a small stock portfolio on the side where where you dabble there. But the bulk of your money should be in something that's quite sensible. You want it managed by someone who isn't some sort of gadabout, who's got a steady pair of hands, who's going to do the right thing for you over a a long amount of time. Because pensions and retirement is not really supposed to be that exciting. So, you know, we could, I can try and make it a bit more interesting for you, but it's not supposed to be like that, really. So, the red satin pants help. Yeah, I can, I can do that. I can wear hats and, you know, I've got a small tiara and all that kind of thing. So that'll do if, if, it, if it helps. But the fundamentals, no, that's not going to be very exciting, but that's as it should be. Um, I would also say to people, stop fiddling with funds as well. Investments should be reviewed regularly. Again, something we've said a lot of times, you shouldn't just put something in an investment and ignore it. It does need to be managed, but every six to 12 months is probably fine. If you're invested in managed funds, unit trusts, investment trusts, that, you know, portfolio bonds, that kind of thing in most cases. So you're just talking about small adjustments because if you 
invest properly you shouldn't have to keep fiddling and in some cases that the fiddling costs you more money and it's very hard to time investments and quite often by the time you've heard about movements in a market or sector you've missed the best of it and you're losing money so, so what you mean by fiddling is you know so keep little, changing keep changing right because yeah. where i come from fiddling with money means something else oh does well, it you know it's like do you want to share that we the books to? you know it's like you know you're doing something oh illegal. i'm not talking about no 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 no, no. <laughs> nothing nothing like that it's just just you know scratching about and, and changing things too often no you don't need to with, with the bulk of these things it's something that we should look at once or twice a year and then you get on with your life we're managing it then we review it we adjust it you get on with your life that's how it should be it's not a not a daily exercise and frankly do you want to be dealing with this on a daily basis i do that for my sins you don't have to um the last point i've really got here is is understanding risk again it's that attitude to risk and people's understandings are different so that's why we have to kind of drill down and talk about the consequences and what it means to be cautious or moderate or speculative what does it actually mean in real terms what are the potential consequences or what are the potential losses so and can you what, give examples of that Karen? well any investment has an element of risk in it but if someone is investing a lump sum of money and they're doing it for a 10-year period so let's talk about that example of the woman with the 200,000 dirhams now if I said to her would a drop of 10% in the value of your assets for something that you don't have to cash in now and for the long term would a drop of 10% affect your life chances are no it wouldn't therefore she can afford to invest not too speculatively but she can certainly take the risk of investing. Quite possibly, I could say to her, what if it dropped by 20% now? So on paper, you lost 40,000 dirhams. That's quite a bit of money. But would it actually affect her life now? Probably not. So she could perhaps be more speculative. So it's putting that in mm. context. What does it mean in numbers? Because otherwise, it's just a very nebulous context, you know, mm. idea, isn't it? And you want to kind of get your head around what could it mean? But you, to look at where markets go over time and that smoothing effect, you've got to get your head around that and understand that. Now, you don't have to become an investment expert, but you have to understand how these things work and if you're comfortable with that then you're fine to go ahead and we just work out what's right for that individual and what makes them sleep at night because it is their money not mine we started off by uh, explaining approximately the kind of money you need to have to maybe consider investing let's round off with that again let's come full circle somebody here is asking that how much of an in income should be kept as your savings i know it's a general question but just to have <laughs> a benchmark figure well this is talking about savings but where it becomes savings where actually you could perhaps use some of that money to invest well, there are kind of rules of thumb, I guess, that advisors use that in your 20s, it should be 20%, in your 30s, it should be 30%. Yeah, that's perhaps a starting point, and it depends on your other outgoings and your other commitments. But a, a fair proportion. Now, if you've moved here from a country where you've been paying tax, you perhaps should be thinking, well, part of the money that I would have been paying in tax elsewhere is what I should be putting aside as an investment. When it comes to, to regular savings, you're, you're talking at starting at the things that I've got access to, 300 US a month, so 1,200, something like that, isn't it, Durham's? Um, Lump sums, we're probably talking, oh, heavens, 50,000 dirhams for, for actual investment as opposed to savings in a, in a bank account. But you've, everyone has to start somewhere. And 
so you haven't done anything now and you've got to start low then then good i'm not going to criticize some of that i applaud you for starting and getting going and things will change over time but you've just got to take that step and get going with it and the kind of options that are out there that you might be investing in oh anything really we're talking about thousands of different funds depending what you're looking at and that's a variety of markets whether that's geographical so a global fund a u.s fund looking at the far east or whether we're talking sector so it's financial or healthcare, or funds that look at a huge range of all different things where they include stocks and bonds and property it all depends on the individual the individual what they're investing in and then i will come up with a suggestion for them with the details and the background and we talk it through so they're comfortable Karen Bogker, thank you very much as always from Holborn Assets. You can connect with her via her blog, her website, Financial UAE. She also writes her column on your side for the national. All her details are up on our website at dubaii1038.com forward slash Dubai today and connected to our Facebook page as well. Sorry we didn't get to all your questions, but she'll be back again next month. So for now, Karen, thank you. Thank you very much.